The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. next um, four weeks, I would like for us to go on a journey, um, on a journey of discovering kingdom concepts or the big ideas that Jesus had. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at parables. And in these parables, Jesus has some truths that are hidden with them that are not always easy to see. And his disciples asked him, why do you speak in parables? He said, the kingdom secrets are laid up and easy for you to see, but it is not always so for those that are perishing. So we want to look up what the kingdom concepts of the kingdom big idea is that we might align ourselves with the manifesto that we have been going with. So for the next four weeks, if you would help commit with me and journey with me to understanding and discovering this kingdom concept so that we can position ourselves correctly and have the right lens through which we translate the things that are happening within our lives. And so the first one that we're going to look at is a story of opportunity, a story of opportunity. So if you could turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 12, and we will be reading from verse 13 to 21. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, Who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, Beware, God against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stows up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Then turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. We're gonna read verse 10 to 12. Ecclesiastes chapter nine. We're doing this old school where we read the scriptures all at the beginning. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter nine from verse 10 to 12. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work, no device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill. But time and chance happen to them all. 
For man also does not know his time. Like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare, so the sons of man are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, even as we have read your word. I pray, God, that you would take this word and you would give us the understanding of your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take that which you have placed in me and help me to bring it out in the way that you would desire, that, Father, we would hear you and we would hear you well. I thank you that in this morning, you are planting a seed in our hearts, and I pray that we would take care of the seed, that we would allow it to grow and bear much fruit and fruit that lasts We thank you and honor you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I have a friend who's into statistics. He always sends me a bunch of different stats that he sends my way, and one of the stats that he sent me was the world's richest man. Now, the last time that he sent this to me, it was Bill Gates. So I didn't want to look like I don't know my stuff, so I went and Googled it on Friday night so that I look like I know what I'm doing. So who knows, according to a friend of mine, my friend's name's Google, and he, he, he showed me who the world's richest man is. How he gathered this information, I have no idea, but he told me who it was. So who do you guys think is the world's richest man? Wow, okay, you're the only service that got that right, yeah. So yes, Mr. Musk is the world's richest man right now. Oh, what about this one? Who knows who is the world's richest company? Okay, it is Apple. These people here are all Googling the same stuff as my friend. Yeah, yeah. So yes, it, it, is, it is Apple. But as a society, we do that. We kind of measure success and we equate it to the possessions that we have. So it looks like the more you have, the more successful that you are. And it's not just in the qual- quantity of possessions that you have, but it's the quality of it. So it's not that you have a car, it's what type of car do you have? It's not that you have a house, it's what type of house do you have? What is the feng shui of the house? Does it have an open concept? Are the sight lines awesome? And does that natural light hit the rooms the way you desire it? Right? And so we, we, we measure that and we go into people's places or we look at their possessions and assume their level of success based on those possessions. And this is something that is so deeply grained in our societies and culture that we have a saying when you don't have the wealth. What do we say? Fake it till you? Exactly. So I'm going to go into debt so that I can have that picture. So you can kind of see that I have something going on as a picture of success. So I don't have it yet, but I'm going to still look it because I'm judging you by what you possess and I know you're looking at me, so I better have like I look like I have my act together. That's how deep we are in this thing. Or we do a Pinterest picture and then we search it and we do how to look rich cheaply. <laughs> right? So I get all my pictures together and try to just look right and put my house in such a way like I got bling going on, I got it going on because I know society measures me by that way. And we're not, we're not spared that in the church also. Because religion has us believing that I 
have more, that means that God has blessed me. And if I have less possessions, it would seem or translate that God has not blessed me. Or God has not blessed me as much as the person who has more than I have. And so we look and we translate the blessing of God based on the possessions that we have. And if we're not looking at God, we're certainly looking at our faith. It would seem that somebody who has great faith would translate to have more possession. And somebody who has little faith would have less. So we look at the things that we possess and in that we translate who we are. So Jesus here in chapter 11, before you go to 12, he visits a house of a Jewish leader. And extra text will tell us that this leader, this Jewish leader in chapter 11, was a wealthy kind of guy, a well-to-do kind of guy in the community. And so when he's there, he kind of puts the Jewish leaders on blast and tells them about their outward appearance and, and things like that. And then in verse 12, a crowd begins to gather because they've heard of the things that he's saying of these Jewish leaders. And then there he tells them that you should not fear one who can destroy the flesh, but you should fear one who can destroy the flesh and also destroy the soul. And so he tells them that. And in the middle of him teaching, in chapter 13, 13, there is an interjection. This young man says to him in verses 13 to 14, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. And Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Now on the face of it, when you look at this young man, it would look like what he's concerned about is fairness. Can you tell uh, my brother to do a fair distribution or equity of the assets that our parents left? But the way Jewish culture was set up was that the older brother would receive a double portion of the inheritance that came from the parents. And so what he was saying to Jesus was really break the status quo and change the culture so that I will also have possession that I did not work for. So at the base of his request was actually greed. And Jesus says, I will not be an arbitrator or a judge on matters that concern greed. And it leads me to this understanding. Sometimes the reason we pray amiss is because embedded in our request is a desire to have possession that we might find meaning and identity in it. So we are more concerned about ourselves and how we look to society. And so when we pray and we're asking God to break through for us, what we're really asking is, I look bad in the eyes of society because I don't have as somebody else has. As the Christmas card says, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, my friends all drive Porsches, and I must make amens because I want to be in the same line as the people that I am looking at. And Jesus, he is the judge, but on such matters as greed, he says, I am not judge of such matters. If you find yourself in your prayers and the thing that you're praying for the most is yourself, 
you might want to check that because embedded in your request might be greed. Because if you understand that you are positioned in this time as a citizen of the kingdom of God, you will realize that your prayers are not just for you, but you've got to pray for somebody else. With your headache, you will lay hands on somebody else who's not feeling well because you believe that they too can get their healing because you know Jesus is able to heal. While you are in a moment of lack, you will also pray for somebody to have their own financial breakthrough because you understand it is not just about you. We come here during Wednesday prayer and sometimes I feel like we miss it because we come here and what we have is a laundry list of things that we need. But for me to get my breakthrough, sometimes it is incumbent upon me to step into that moment and be an intercessor for this city. That as this city gets its breakthrough, so too comes my own breakthrough. But if I'm embedded in just a desire for greed and all that is mine, all I will see are my needs. But around you are so many needs, so many people that are in need and when you lift up your head and you look at that you are able to experience your own breakthrough and so this is what he hears from this young man and so this young man he responds and he tells this young man beware God against every kind of greed life is not measured by how much you own and this is how I understand it The sum total of our existence is not measured by the things we possess, but by who possesses us. Who do you belong to? Because it doesn't matter the things that you have, nor the things that you don't have. Who do you belong to? That is something that does not change with time, nor change with seasons. If you allow yourself to belong to him who is eternal. So once he says this, then he tells this young man, picture this. This is the story of a rich man. This is the story of a man that you are trying to aspire to be. And the Bible says, he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So our very first introduction to this man is that he is a rich man. He is not yet a rich fool. He is a rich man, which means that at the point we meet him, he has probably used his time and opportunities to better himself. He has used his time to work on the land so that it produces crop. And God has blessed him time and again with the opportunity of a good harvest. And so he already has barns, but he's saying to himself, my barns are not big enough to hold this bumper harvest that God has now blessed me with. And so because of that, he fails to see any other 
place to store his grain except to tear down the already riches that he have to build bigger ones so that he can store more. He fails to see that this was an opportunity for him to sow a legacy because his wealth was never going to go with him into the grave, but he could have left a legacy. Instead of wanting to build bigger barns, he could have given this to the barns of the orphans. He could have given it to the barns of the poor. He could have given it to the barns of the widows and there would have been a legacy that is stored up for him. But because his mind was all about him, he failed to see any other opportunity that God was actually presenting him with. I wonder if you see the opportunities in front of you. Or are we so locked up in our need that we fail to see that there's an opportunity that is out there that God wants us to see. He used his time and opportunity to gain wealth. And God had given him one big one. And he totally failed. And it went over his head. And he's not able to see it because of where his mind is focused. And so he says to himself, verse 19, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take it easy. Another version says he talked to his soul and he said, soul, you have made it. Take it easy. Put up your feet. Eat, drink, and be merry. And what he was actually saying is he was telling his soul to align himself, to align itself with the flesh. Because what does the flesh want to do? Eat, drink, and we all know the flesh wants to be merry. And those are the three things that he was saying, I am going to align myself with the desires of my flesh. He failed to realize something very important, and that is seasons always change. The desires of the flesh are never fulfilled. And if all you see in a particular season is how to feed your flesh, you can easily destroy your tomorrow. Somebody here is plotting and planning to fulfill the lust of the flesh and in so doing, failing to see that tomorrow is coming, that what is sown in the dark will one day as the season change have to come to the light. And this man failed to see that. He failed to recognize that nothing lasts forever. He identified himself only by the season that he was in. So what does God call him? God calls him, you fool. This very night, your life will, demand, will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. What is a fool? What is a fool? The Bible tells us. In Psalm, in Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
when you chase after the flesh, when you chase after wealth without God, you are being in that moment a fool because you cannot see God to meet a real need. You are seeing God only as somebody who is there to satisfy the desires of your flesh. His mind is not rich towards God. His mind is not in the place where he can see the kingdom of God. But for us, our mind has to be stayed on the kingdom of God. The Bible already tells us in Luke chapter 12, verse 31, seek the kingdom of God above all else and he will give you everything you need. The problem with this man is not that he is rich. The problem with this man is that he is rich and he has no foresight of the kingdom of God. So if you are thinking, man, I'm listening to this guy, that means I gotta sell my Tesla now, I gotta give up my house because I'm not allowed to be wealthy, that's not the message at all. The message is not that you should not be wealthy or that you should not be rich. The message is in everything that you do, you do it in the kingdom because the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, but he adds no sorrow to it. But when you do it in your own hands, then you have to guard it with your own hands and therein lies sorrow where you are wealthy with possession, but you have not enough rest and sleep because you are worried about it going away. But when it's built in the kingdom and you allow God the opportunity to build it for you, it is established in truth and it has no sorrow to it. So the time is not to say, hey, give up all your possessions. So what he failed to see was the opportunity of expanding his richness or his wealth in the kingdom versus doing it in the flesh. And so we've read already with the, with the wise man in Ecclesiastes, the preacher. He tells us that the race is not going to go to the swift. The success is not to, the wis to the, those that have wisdom or to those that have man, uh, understanding. But time and chance happens to everybody. So the billionaire and the dollarnaire both have the same amount of time. So it is what you do with this time that is going to determine what kind of success you are going to have. It is what you do with the opportunities that you have that is going to determine what kind of success you are going to experience. So what I want to do is I want to give you five things, five keys to help you use your opportunities for the kingdom. How to make the most of the opportunity or in another way, how to not be a rich fool. Okay, so I'm going to give you five of these things. So the first one, pretty simple. It's so simple that sometimes I think it goes over our heads in its simplicity. The first one is have faith. Have faith. You see, in this time, on this side of eternity, we live with the presence of good and the presence of evil. 
We live with the presence of opportunity, but we also live with the risk of opposition. We live with the presence of good health, but also with the danger of sickness and disease. So there is good things and there is bad things. And there are seasons that we're going to go through. And in some moments, we're going to go through a place where we have sickness and we have disease, or we go through a time of mourning. In Ecclesiastes, the Bible says there is a reason and a purpose for everything under under heaven. But when you're in a particular season, you do not want to apply a permanent solution to a temporary experience. You have a season that will change and if you apply a permanent solution, it destroys you. For example, somebody going through a difficult time and commits suicide, they are applying a permanent solution to a temporary experience. So when you are going through a difficult experience and you apply a permanent solution by defining yourself by the season that you are going through, you are committing spiritual suicide because what you lose in that moment is your faith. When you define yourself as I have lack because you're going through a season of lack, you are committing spiritual suicide and when the season changes, you will not be able to see what God is doing in the new season. You've got to keep your faith because the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is the devil after? The devil is after your faith. He's not after your Prada. He already wears those. He's not after your Jimmy Choo. He's not after your Tesla. He's not after your home. What he is after is your faith. Because if he has your faith, he moves you out of position. And when you define yourself by a bad season, you are applying a permanent solution to something that is just happening in the moment because the season is going to change. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Every moment and every season that you are going through that is difficult, the enemy would use it to take your faith. Having faith is believing and understanding that the season is going to change. Number two, study. Okay, so the first one was faith. Now, faith is easy. All I got to do is listen, right? How do you get faith? Faith comes by and hear in the word of God. So all I got to do is just hear. But now I'm going to tell you to study and study takes work. And this is where the whole train falls apart for most people because now I got to do some work and actually study. So there's two ways to study. Number one, you've got to study the word of God. In studying the word of God, you discover the nature of God, but you also discover your own nature. So you've got to study the word of God to discover who God is and who you are. But the other aspect of study is to study your environment, to study your seasons. Right? The Bible says there's nothing new under the... Okay. All right. I'm going to hope that you wake up with me, okay? So I'm going to try this again. There's nothing new under the... 
thank you. So there's nothing new under the sun, which means every season that has come has also been. Jesus says that you are wise in the fact that you can look at the cloud and you can determine when the rain is coming, but you are not wise in able to understand spiritually what the seasons are and what has happened within a particular season. Right now, in this country, we're having a season where guns are becoming an issue again. Is this the first time we've seen this? No, but what do we do? We apply the same principles of bickering. Is the Second Amendment? No, it's not the Second Amendment. And we argue amongst each other. But nobody can discern spiritually what is happening. That at this time it is an opportunity to go on your knees and begin to make a declaration that this will not be the hinge of our society. To fight this battle in the spirit and not just in the natural. We're so hung up on fighting legislatively that we fail to fight spiritually. Because we discern the issue only in the natural because we fail to study things in the spirit. The Bible says the sons of Issachar were wise because they understood the times and knew what Israel should do. Do we know what we ought to be doing now? Do we know? And so what ends up happening is we just sit back and we join the rest of society because we don't stop to study what the season is happening, what what season we're in spiritually. This is not the first time we've had a season like this. And this is not the last time we will have a season like this. What have we gleaned from this season that we can take when it happens again and apply it spiritually? So number one, we've got to have faith. Number two, we have to study. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible says, as long as the earth remains, day and night, cold and heat, summer and winter shall never cease. I have a question for you. Who threw away their winter clothes? You're like, oh, it's summer now, and you took all your winter clothes and you just threw them into the dump. Who did that? Nobody, okay? Why? Winter's coming back. How do you know? Okay, I love love doing this to people. This is amazing, people just throwing all answers at me. The reason you know is because of experience. Experience has been your study. You've studied that the seasons change and you've made plans to keep your winter clothes because you know that winter is, and you don't throw away your winter clothes. Who knows that Christmas is coming? But how many of us end up shopping at the 11th hour? As if it was a big surprise that, oh my gosh, it's Christmas. But you already knew that Christmas was coming. Right? Now, effective study is not just knowing, right? Because what did the devils know? The devils know that Jesus is Lord and they fear him also. Just like you and I know that. The difference between you and them, me and them, is what we do with the knowledge that we have. So if you know that the season is going to change 
and it's not going to stay the same, you have to make provision for the next one. Listen, they were 10 virgins. The Bible says the five were foolish and five were wise, but they all had access to the same information. Where will you be found? Where will you be found? The third one, sharpen the saw. Sharpen the saw. Ecclesiastes 10 and 10, using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. That's the value of wisdom. It helps you succeed. How many of you in here have a gift? Everybody's hand should go up. How many in here is cold? Everybody's hand should go up. How many of you are anointed to do the thing that God has called you to do? Everybody's hand should go up. How many of you in here have the opportunity to actually be doing what you're called to do? Not everybody's hands will go up because we are in different seasons. Paul says they are vessels of honor that for a time are put in the cupboard and at other instances they're then taken out to be used. Other vessels are used occasionally. They're common vessels and they're used more occasionally. So which means that you are you can be in a season where your gift is not being expressed the way that you want it to be expressed, where you don't have the opportunity to be expressing your gift or to be doing the thing that you want to do because the season is different. See, I understood this. It hasn't always been like this. I haven't always been in a place and a platform where I can minister. When I first came into this country, I was a janitor at a school, but I knew that my season was not going to always be like this. This, but I had a gift. So when I was buffing the floors, I began to preach to the floors. And I began to say, Floor, Jesus wants to change you and make you shine. I went and I cleaned the commode. And I said, Commode, the blood of Jesus is available to you. Because I knew it is always going to be like this. My season will come. My opportunity will come. What are you doing with your opportunity? What are you doing with your gift? What are you doing with it? Do you sit down and say, it's not happening for me, oh me, oh my, this is bad, I'm never gonna have a chance to use it? I don't care what it is. If it is, sing in the shower as though you're leading worship amongst a thousand as you keep working on your gift. If you're an accountant, you're not of opportunity, calculate the number of socks you have. Do whatever you need to do to sharpen your gift because it will come, the season will change on the drop of a dime. And if your gift is not sharp enough, you will require much work to get into this new season. Don't give up on your gift. Don't give up on your gift. Even though you don't have an opportunity, that's why Paul tells Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season. Because you don't have the ability to know when the seasons change. Do you know we would look cultic if, if people came in here and what we're doing is praying for summer to end right now and, 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 and winter to come in because, man, it was so hot yesterday. We need to come together and pray that the season changes quickly. We would look cultic. We would look weird. But when we're going through a season, that's what we do. We start praying, I want to get out of this season. I want to get out of this season and I want the season to change. Here's the thing, 
Don't pray that the season changes because you really don't have power over that, but pray that you become better and stronger to handle the season that you are in right now. That you can have an ability to change. That you can have the ability to do something about. We want to run out, run away from our seasons. But in each season, God wants to do something. Because remember, there is a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. Number four, always work as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 4. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How many of you in here want to be lazy for the Lord? Lazy for the Lord. But when we are lazy at the places that we work, that is exactly what we are doing. See, when you start talking about your boss, man, our boss be nasty, be crazy. I don't want to associate with men like that. If I didn't need the money, I wouldn't be here. This company is bad. It's a terrible place. And you begin to speak those words. You know what that tells me too? That means you're not actually praying for your boss. You're not praying for the success of the place that you're in. Because in so doing, you find success. But when you're working as unto the Lord, it builds you up. Because when the season changes, the habits that you picked up in the bad season will translate themselves in the good season and it will affect the kind of harvest that you can have. Because you have not taught yourself that no matter where I am, whatever I find my hand to do, I do it with all my might. I buffed those floors and I wanted them so clean even though I ain't got nothing to do with floors. I don't like doing that. You put me at Pepper's Ranch and it's, it's, it's a surf Saturday. I'm getting all in there and cleaning that barn like I'm a farmer. <laughs> Why? Because I'm working as unto the Lord. Because in this season that I do not like to be in, I've got to learn how to build myself up. Because when the season changes, I learn how to keep myself together and make the most of the new season. What are you doing with the season you're in? Are you floating on by? Are you floating on by and hoping things will change? Singing Kumbaya and in the sweet by and by, somehow, somewhere, things will change. Work. The Bible tells us to work. So we work. Sometimes the work we do is not yet the work we are meant to be doing, but that attitude builds us up. Number five. Look for the opportunity that the storm brings. Look for the opportunity that the storm brings. Acts chapter 21, verse 23. But he said, why all this weeping? 
You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed at Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. You know, the Japanese, and I said it earlier, they're going to Japan, so they can correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I understand. The Japanese do not have a word for crisis. Their word for crisis is the same word as opportunity. In the midst of the storm, God is there. Here Paul is about to go to prison and people are weeping because they see him going into a place that is uncomfortable. They see his season translating to a difficult moment and they are weeping for him. And Paul is saying, you break my heart because what I see is an opportunity to minister the gospel. The Bible says the heart knows its own joys and its own sorrows who can fathom it. So I do not know the pain that you experience or the toughness of the situation that you face or the difficulty of it. But what I do know is that God is there. Will you find him? Will you look and say, God, open my eyes that I may see you. There is a narrative in the Bible where the man is with the servant of God. And the man who is with the servant of God sees the army and there is a vast army and he is trembling in fear because he is getting into a place of trouble. And the servant of the Lord prayed, that his eyes would be open to see that those who were with them were greater than those that were against them. Those that are with you, the power that is present for you is greater than whatever it is is against you in whatever difficult season you find yourself. Find God in the crisis. Find him in the midst of a difficult situation because he is here. He is not bound by time nor season and he can stand strong for you. I'm going to invite our altar ministry team to come up. If you could bow your heads with me. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.